appreciate Brother Danny being with us tonight and bringing us a, a good message, a needful message from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And I, I love that verse. It's meant a lot to me through the years. And the verse preceding it is also a verse that's spoken to my heart. And I'd like to call your attention to it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Paul would say, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Paul is giving a warning here to people who would be proud. And think that I'm beyond falling. That I'm so strong in the Lord. I'm so spiritual. I'm so godly. I'm so faithful. I could never fall. If you ever start thinking that, you've probably already fallen. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And the fall here is um, it's not talking about falling back into a state of death and sin, but it's talking about falling in your discipleship. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. How many of us here tonight are aware of the fact that we could fall from our discipleship? If you're not aware of that, you need to be. Now, we don't want to dwell on that and live in great fear, but we do want to always acknowledge that we are sinners. We have a sinful nature. And if anybody here tonight thinks that... uh, you have overcome that sinful nature to the point that you don't have it. If you're married, just ask your spouse. They'll be able to remind you <laughs> that you're still a sinner. They live with you. We are all sinners. We have a sinful nature. And there's always a danger of us falling. It doesn't matter how long we've been in the church doesn't matter how long we have served the Lord and how faithful we have been. If we start getting high-minded and think that I don't need God, then we're a sitting duck for who? For the devil. He loves to work with people that are proud and high-minded. Solomon said... uh, that pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before what? A fall. So, we need to be reminded of our sinfulness, our our weakness in the flesh, and how dependent we are. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. I heard about a old deacon who quit going to church. He was still able to go, but he just quit going. 
It was in the winter, and the pastor was missing him, and and uh, the pastor went by to visit him on a cold day, and the old brother was sitting by the fireplace, by a warm, crackling fire. And the pastor said, Brother Deacon, we've been missing you at church. We really miss you. He said, well, I've been going a long time, 50 years. And he said, I am so well established in the church. I know what the preacher's going to preach on. If he takes the text, I know what he's going to say about it. I'm so well established, I just think I can stay at home. I'm okay. So the pastor took the fire poke and raked one of those hot, red coals out on the hearth, didn't say anything, just raked it out by itself. You all know what happened to that red hot coal? In a few minutes, it was black. Didn't have any heat at all. And the deacon knew what the pastor was saying, and he said, I'll be back next Sunday. (laughs) I want to tell you, you and I need one another. We need the Lord and we need one another in the church. I need you all. Y'all help me. You strengthen me. My wife does. My children do. My brothers do. My family and my church family help me tremendously. And if I got out there in the world away from the church, I want to tell you, I would be in great danger. So, Paul says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Take heed to who? To yourself. Most of us are pretty good at taking heed to other people. John and Amanda spent Friday night with us, and about 10.30, I, I said, I'm going to bed. And uh, John looked extremely tired. He's been remodeling an old house and during the summer, and he was tired, and, and I was tired. And, and I said, I've learned that conversations usually go south after about 10.30 at night. <laughs> they stop talking about the Scriptures <laughs> and start talking about other people. Is that helpful? Come on now. What if they're talking about your children? See, gossip is a dangerous thing. And, and, and it's not for you and me to take heed to everybody else. It's to take heed to ourselves. I've said it a many, many times. My biggest problem in the world, I see every morning when I look in the mirror. How about y'all, y'all? Come on, folks. I'm talking to a bunch of sinners. I know y'all. And I know me. And we need to be taking heed to ourselves. And that's what Paul is saying. Wherefore, let him that thinketh, not knoweth, but thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Let's back up to verse 1. I had another subject on my mind tonight that I thought I was burdened with, but our brothers introduced a wonderful chapter. 
So I want to stay with it. Let's back up to verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren. Now Paul is talking to brethren in the Lord. They're not his brethren by nature because these are Gentiles. He's a Jew. But they're his brethren by the blood of Jesus. He's kin to, it's blood kin, but it's through the blood of Jesus. Wherefore, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. I want to spend a moment there. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. I remember Brother Raven Lord saying to me on more than one occasion, Brother Sam, I would not have you to be ignorant. (laughs) Did you know that's scriptural? (laughs) It is. Paul is saying, I don't want the Corinthian church to be ignorant of this truth. I don't need to be ignorant of it, and you don't either. It's as irrelevant tonight as it was 2,000 years ago. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now, what is it he's wanting them to know? How that all, I want you all, if you can, count the alls in this text. How that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, obviously, he's talking about Moses delivering the Hebrew children out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Okay? How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink that same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Five times Paul uses the word all. He wants the Corinthians to know that that Moses' mission To deliver the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage was a total 100% success. He didn't leave one down there that he went down there to get. And some Bible students estimate there were maybe 3 million Hebrew slaves in Egypt. But Moses didn't leave one of them behind. The young in their mother's arms. The old and crippled, they all got out. They all got out. Moses went down there to get them, and he got them. And he had to get them under the blood of the Passover lamb. I'm glad to tell you all tonight that a greater than Moses came into this world 2,000 years ago, and he's going to have all he came to get. Not going to lose one. Moses was a great deliverer, but not to be compared with Jesus Christ, whom he represented. How many is Jesus going to have with him in glory? All that he wanted. 
You know, some brethren say, you know, I, this doctrine of election, Brother Sam, is too narrow. I like a general atonement. I like a doctrine that tells me that the atonement of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, was shed for everybody. I want a general atonement. I don't want a narrow atonement. But I would ask you all this. If y'all were crossing the Mississippi River, would you rather have a bridge that's a hundred miles wide but it only gets halfway across the river. Or would you rather have a bridge that's a little narrower, but it goes all the way? Which one would y'all rather cross? I want to tell you, our Armenian brethren preach a general atonement, a broad atonement, but they don't finish the bridge. They say Jesus did his part, now you've got to do your part. Is that going to get anybody across the river? No. What Jesus did is going to get everybody across that he wants. I'm like you, Brother Danny. I love this doctrine. I've been enjoying it since I was a little sinner. I mean, uh, 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 what I was saying was a kid, but now I'm a big sinner. But I've been enjoying this gospel for a long, long time. It set me free. Years and years ago. That Jesus did it all. He paid it all. All the debt I owed. But now let's come to verse 5. But with many of them. God was not well pleased. Whoa, now wait a minute. Who's he talking about there? But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. Well, that's making it relevant, isn't it? Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink. And rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication. As some of them committed. And fell in one day. Three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted. And were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye. As some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Did you know murmuring is a serious sin? Yes. It is. Amen. Amen. You may think that's your special gift. <laughs> I'm just gifted to murmur. Well, I want to tell you, it's a sin. Amen. And listen to what he says. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now this is a sober warning. Everyone that Moses went down to Egypt to get out of slavery... He got them out under the blood of the Passover lamb. I believe that represent, Egypt represents being dead in sin. 
And the blood of the Passover lamb represents the blood of the everlasting covenant that Jesus shed on the cross. And everyone he shed the blood for is going to be in heaven. Uh, I love that. Uh, And the blood was shed only for the Hebrews. Not one drop of Passover blood was shed for an Egyptian. Did you all know that? That blood was shed specifically for the Hebrews. It was a limited atonement, but it was effectual. But with many of them, if three million of them got out of Egypt, did you know that when they got to the promised land and they sent out twelve spies to spy out the promised land, they all twelve came back with a glowing report. Do you all remember what they said? They said it's flowing with milk and honey. They brought back a cluster of grapes that was so big that two of those spies had to carry that cluster of grapes on a pole over their shoulder. I've never seen anything like that. I've been to California. I have seen some incredible fruit in California, but I've never seen anything close to that. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said it's a good land, but we can't take it. You know what they said? There's giants over there, and we can't take the land because of the giants. Now, we're talking about a people that has already witnessed the God of glory, the sovereign God of heaven and earth. They've already witnessed him sending ten plagues on Egypt, miracles. And they've already seen God back the waters of the Red Sea up on either side and it just jails there. And they go through dry shod, kicking up dust. They've already witnessed all that. Would you ever doubt God if you had witnessed that? Wait a minute now. Before you say, no, Brother Sam, I wouldn't. These people saw it. But they began to doubt. That's why I say miracles don't do much good. Jesus said, an adult, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. I want to tell you what you and I need. Not more miracles. What we need is faith. A working faith. A living faith. An active faith. And a sovereign God. You all agree with that? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When Nebuchadnezzar was going to throw them into the fiery furnace. They said, if they don't bow down and worship me, throw them in there. And those three boys, what did they do? They said, no, our God is able to deliver us. We know that. But if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down and worshiping you. That's faith. So these people had come out of Egypt. They had seen all these miracles. And yet they're letting a few giants over there scare them out of their inheritance. Now, I don't believe Canaan represents eternal heaven. Because I don't believe in heaven there's going to be hills and valleys and there's not going to be any giants. There's not going to be any wars over there. I told him the other Sunday here, Brother Danny, there won't be any lawyers in heaven. (laughs) Because lawyers have to deal with all kinds of problems and there won't be any in heaven. But there won't be any preachers there either. 
There won't be any funeral directors. Canaan does not represent eternal heaven. We sing, we get, we grant poets poetic liberty when they start singing about I'm bound for the promised land and pretend it's heaven. But that's not heaven. It's the church. It's representing the church. Now, how many of those that came up out of Egypt above the age of 20 got into the promised land? Do any of y'all remember? Two. Joshua and Caleb. They said, they saw the giants too. But you know what they said? They said, let us go up at once and take this land. And, and Caleb... You've got a good name. You've got a lot to live up to. <laughs> Caleb said, give me this mountain. The mountain he wanted was the mountain where the giants were. And he's not a young man. He's 85 years old. But I want to tell you, faith does amazing things. Even to old people. <laughs> age is a, you know... Uh, Age is a matter of mind over matter. If you don't mind, age doesn't matter. <laughs> Brother Wynn. I want to tell you, when you've got faith in God, God can use an 85-year-old man. Are you all listening? But with many of them, God was not well pleased. He was pleased with what Moses did in Egypt and it got him out. God is pleased with what Jesus did on the cross for us and He's going to get us all into heaven someday. But with many of us, God may not be well pleased because we're living in fear and we're murmuring. I was so glad today to be present at a baptism. Wasn't that beautiful? Those of you that were there, I know Sister Penny was there and Brother Buddy and his wife, beautiful thing to see a young woman step out from the world and say, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to follow Him the way He taught us to follow Him. I want to be baptized in His name. I want the world to know that I believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. And when my pastor takes my body, I'm going to hold my breath as one in death. And when my pastor buries me beneath the liquid grave, I want everybody to know my Savior died for me and was buried. But when my pastor brings me out, I want you all to know it represents the resurrection. How many of you all believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's what baptism represents. And I was so glad to hear Brother John was blessed to baptize three into Tired Creek today. Now here are two men, old men. They had to put up with those unbelievers for 40 years out there in the wilderness while they lived in fear. And here are people that could have been enjoying the fruits of the promised land. But what were they doing? They were out there in a desert. I don't know if y'all have ever been in a desert, but I want to tell you, a desert is not somewhere you'd want to live. They were out there in a desert. They drank water God provided for them from a rock, but they could have been drinking from flowing wells in the promised land. I want to tell you, 
Israel, even to this day, is a beautiful country. In all the Middle East, there's nothing like Israel today. It is an absolutely beautiful country. Even today, thousands of years after all of this, can you imagine what it was like? And that that beautiful land of Israel represents the church to me. And here are these people out there in the wilderness. They could have been enjoying all of these wonderful blessings. Multitudes of God. I appreciate what Brother Wayne Collins told me a while back. He said, the best thing he ever did was join this church. He's been enjoying it immensely. You know, I've been enjoying it 55 years. And it just gets better. I want to tell you, I can get bored with gun smoke. <laughs> and I, I like gun smoke. That's an old western. Some of y'all never heard of it, but... I, I just watch it. I can watch it for a while. I get bored with it. I get bored with TV. I get bored with sports. I get bored with a lot of things. I never get bored of what our brother was preaching tonight. Never get bored of coming to this house and singing praises to our God in glory. There's nothing about it that's boring. If it's boring to you, that's an evidence that you're in the shape that these people were in in the wilderness. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Our Calvinist brethren tell us that if you're one of the elect and you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that you are going to follow Jesus. That persevering in righteousness and holiness and faith is part of the salvation package. And you're not only preserved, but you are going to persevere. God is going to persevere you. That's a lie of Satan, beloved. I believe in preservation. I believe all the elect are preserved in Jesus and will be kept for all eternity. But persevering in faithfulness is, a lot of it is up to us. And I want to persevere. I want to leave this world with a testimony. You know, Paul said to the Hebrews, let us hold fast the confession of our faith. I'm glad he didn't say hold fast your possession. God's holding that for us. But I made a profession to this church when I was 15 years old. I came down here and professed that I believe in Jesus. I was baptized in His name. I want to hold fast to that profession. What about y'all? So, Paul is saying, he's writing all, he's giving the Corinthians in the first century a history lesson. You know, you may think you don't like history, but if you like the Bible, you love history. Because the Bible is full of history. And I believe, beloved, that many of God's children that have been saved by grace and will live in heaven someday are living in a desert in this world. And not enjoying the blessings of God in a spiritual way. So he would say, Wherefore, let him that thinketh He standeth, take heed, lest he fall. If these Hebrews in the desert could fall, I know I could. But if Joshua and and Caleb were faithful, I know I can be. But with the, the same help that God gave them, he's given me. He hadn't changed. Y'all do know that, don't you? 
We were talking last night, or the other night, to the grandkids about the moon. I said, you know, that beautiful moon out there is the very moon that Adam looked at in the morning of time. That first night Adam looked up, I bet he saw a full moon. It's the same moon that David wrote about when he said the heavens declare the glory of God. And he said the moon and the, uh, and the stars are his handiwork. That moon is up there and it's a glorious testimony to the faithfulness of our God. And I want to just tell you all tonight that this God has not changed one bit. Not one bit. He's not getting old. He's not getting gray-headed. He's not getting senile. He's not getting weak. Um, he's not going on vacation. <laughs> he is an ever-present help in time of trouble. How many of y'all need help? My wife needs it tonight as she travels to Arkansas to be with a weeping family. I need it. I'll miss her. You need him. We all need him. And I want to tell you, he's a present help in time of trouble. And if he could help Joshua and Caleb go into the promised land and defeat the giants, I believe he can help you and me tonight. Whatever your problem is. And there are a lot, in the congregation this size, there's many problems that could be mentioned here. Sister Whitney's going to need him. As she gives birth to this baby she's carrying. They're going to need help raising those children. Precious children. You parents. Y'all need his help. How many of y'all take your children seriously? You need God's help to bring them up in a broken, messed up world. I want to tell you, the devil is after all of us, especially our children. He is. I appreciated the sister mentioning our kids going back to college. Jacob and his sister and many others going back to school. Satan's waiting on every last one of them. Did you know that? And he doesn't need any new tools. He's not coming up with anything new, Brother Dan. Satan's temptations today are as old as they were in the Garden of Eden. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They worked on Eve and Adam, and they'll work on people today. Satan doesn't need to come up with any new fishing lures. He's been catching all he can handle with those. He's after all of us. How many of y'all know you've got an enemy tonight? And it's the devil. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy. I want to close with, this just came to my mind. I watched a two-hour documentary this week. Uh, of Elvis Presley. And Elvis was a talented man. I mean, that man could sing. I enjoyed his singing. And I believe Elvis was a child of God. Now, I know our Calvinists are going to scream. What do you mean, Brother Sam? Elvis being a child of God and in heaven? I believe he was. He would sit up all night singing gospel songs with a gospel, a southern gospel quartet. He loved singing gospels. That was his first love. He learned to sing in church in, in Tupelo, Mississippi. But the world got him. Satan was waiting on him. 
And with that great talent, that great voice, he fell under the influence of people that knew how to market him and get rich off of Elvis. And they got him on uppers and downers so he could perform hundreds and hundreds of concerts every year. And the more he sung, the more they made. And the more they pumped him full of uppers and downers. And the poor soul. I'm not, I'm not, Elvis made the choice. He has to bear the responsibility. But Satan came to steal and kill and destroy a fine young man. Elvis had a big heart. He gave away 20 Cadillacs one year. Elvis, but I want to tell you, Satan got him. I don't believe he took him to hell. I believe he'll be in heaven by God's grace. But he lived in torment down here. At the age of 42, his weight had gotten like 385 pounds. 42 years old and gone. Satan got him. And Satan is after you and he's after me. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I do think we need to be sober. But I do want you all to leave here tonight remembering what our brother preached to us. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. What Elvis faced, what these people in the wilderness faced, is common to all sinners. Your burdens aren't going to be any greater. But God is faithful. That's what we've got to keep in mind, Brother Danny. God is faithful. Not the government. (laughs) Sometimes not the pastor. Sometimes not the church. But God is faithful. Who will, with the temptation, make a way of escape. So may all of us tonight... Humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God that He may exalt us in due time. Thank you for your wonderful attention and